0: Long history's random UK Prime Minister of the Week, Spencer Percival, the only UK Prime Minister to be assassinated. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. This is the place where every week we pick a UK Prime Minister literally at random and then ask a few questions such as what was that person like, how did they get into office, what did they do in office and how does their reputation stand over time. Along the way, we like to paint a little picture of the period and that corresponds to Spencer Percival who was the only UK Prime Minister to be assassinated. He was Prime Minister in the early 1800s known as the Georgian Era the time of the Napoleonic Conflicts. So listen on if that interests you and don't forget to subscribe or follow Long History for more episodes of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. If you can't wait until then we've already covered many Prime Ministers so they'll be available on your podcast provider and they're all gathered together on longhistory.net, our website. Okay, so today we've got a Prime Minister who's famous for being assassinated. So what were the circumstances around that particular incident? And why isn't Spencer Percival more famous? After all, didn't he die for the great cause of democracy? Well, we'll analyse that question here. Now, it's a curious fact, really, that Spencer Percival is the only Prime Minister to have been assassinated. And, as we asked in the introduction, it's such a stand-out fact that it does beg the question, why isn't this man more celebrated as someone who died for the cause of democracy? Well, it's a complicated issue, and we will look at that throughout this episode. But it's also a reason why this is one of the few early Prime Ministers not to be widely known by a title. He was from a reasonably aristocratic family being the son of an earl, however he was the second son, meaning that although he did get an allowance from his father he didn't inherit a title. And unfortunately, although most prime ministers end up with some sort of title after they've left office, Percival's assassination meant that he didn't have time to gain such an official title. What was Spencer Percival like? When researching about this man it was quite curious because he was assassinated after all and so sympathies lie with such a person perhaps but the more reading that was done the more it became quite clear that this was a very righteous and religious man actually who was against vices such as gambling and hunting. Now that's of course not a bad thing. Many if not most prime ministers have been religious in some way but only one or two we've looked at, so far anyway, have been quite so explicitly religious. And Gladstone, a much more impressive figure actually, was one of those other explicitly religious figures, but there is a key difference between the two men. Gladstone, although he started off being quite a conservative man, he did become more progressive as the years went on, and ended up being quite a reformist Prime Minister who helped the poor and the working class. Spencer Percival seems to have been religious in quite a similar way. He also wore his religion on his sleeve. But whereas Gladstone became more progressive and a fighter for the poor as he aged, Percival seemed to become more conservative with that small C. In his youth, however, because he was the second son of an earl and so he had no prospects of inheriting a significant fortune, when he met Jane Wilson, his future wife... Her father was not impressed by Spencer Percival, and so eventually they had to elope. And he also had 13 children, so he certainly enjoyed some of his leisure time. Something which couldn't be taken for granted in those days is that he did oppose the slave trade, which was very much a live issue at the time, but that religion of his, he was quite an active Anglican, meant that he opposed attempts to give Catholics more rights. This was another touchy issue at the time, and this anti-Catholic sentiment, which hasn't aged well, was actually one that led him to becoming Prime Minister at that time. He did seem to herald something of a more conservative era at that time. And, for example, in the episode we created about Harold Macmillan, the Prime Minister in the late 1950s and early 1960s, we pointed out that he was the last Prime Minister to have a moustache. Now that's a small but significant change because Harold Macmillan was also the last Prime Minister to be born in the Victorian era. And in a similar way, Percival was quite a conservative again character. He was the last Prime Minister to wear the old-fashioned clothing of the previous century. That involved knee breeches and a wig. He seems to have been a steady rather than an inspirational Prime Minister. In many ways a reliable and upstanding man. Now that means he wasn't some cartoon bad guy. Nor was he one of the greatest Prime Ministers ever, in fact one biography notes that he's one of the forgotten Prime Ministers, but for that one detail, yes, he was the one who was assassinated. What was the historical background? Well, King George III was on the throne at the time and he's famous for two reasons, he lost America and then he went mad. During Percival's time in office, George III began to descend into his illness for a second time. He'd first fallen ill in the late 1780s, leading to his son becoming what was known as the Prince Regent for a time, ruling in the place of his father. When Percival became leader, the king was falling ill again, and Percival didn't want another regency, but in the end he had no choice, and in 1810 he was forced to pass a law making the Prince Regent once again but with certain limitations on his powers. We've said that Percival seemed to have been a man from a former age, particularly in the way he dressed, and this in turn means that he was very much influenced by the events of that former age. These were the momentous events of his early adulthood, not least the French Revolution and US independence. Both of these events influenced Percival to a great extent, turning him into an anti-revolutionary, someone who is very wary of any radicalism. It's a very English trait, actually. The Napoleonic conflicts continued during the whole time that Percival was Prime Minister, with early 1812 seeing the main battles of the Peninsular War. Those are the ones that took place in Spain and Portugal, involving another future Prime Minister, Arthur Wellesley, better known as the Duke of Wellington. What was the UK like specifically at that time? The second ever census took place during Percival's time in office. That was in 1811, and it found that the population had increased by 1.6 million in the 10 years since the first census. Altogether reaching 12.6 million people in England, Scotland and Wales. Jane Austen, one of the country's most famous writers, was publishing books during Percival's time in office, including Sense and Sensibility, one of her most famous works, published in 1811. We like to give a hint of what an ordinary person in the country would have earned during those years, and we found one statistic saying that a housemaid in one of the most prestigious houses in the country, Chatsworth, would earn £11 per year, that is £1,113 in today's money, or 1412 US dollars. Speaking of the US, the country was still newly independent at the time, and James Madison was president during Percival's time in office. He was the fourth US president. Louisiana joined the union in 1812. That was less than a fortnight before Percival was assassinated. Who could vote during those years? Well, if you've listened to any of the earlier episodes about UK Prime Ministers, you'll already know the situation... The country was still in a kind of a proto-democracy before 1832. This was a time when the landed gentry and aristocrats were the only ones more or less who could vote and so-called rotten boroughs were quite common. These were boroughs which, through historical quirks, had been reduced to one or two voters which could easily be influenced. So it did mean that getting seats in parliament was often through contacts, not popularity. And no women and most men didn't have the vote at that time. And as we've said, with Percival, politics did seem to be entering a particularly conservative phase, when the country seemed to be particularly nervous about revolution and radicalism. What was Spencer Percival's background? So back to the Prime Minister himself, and he was educated at Harrow and then at Cambridge University. Now this isn't the most establishment education, but it does fit into a particular pattern, with five Prime Ministers in total having been educated at both of these institutions. Nine in total were educated at Harrow and 14 at Cambridge University. After his education, Percival became a barrister and he worked in law for many years and this was always his area of expertise. He did, however, become a Member of Parliament at the age of 33, which was actually quite late in those days. As wasn't untypical in those days, he became MP, largely due to contacts when his uncle died and his cousin, who was an MP for Northampton, inherited his father's title of Earl of Northampton. This left a vacancy in the role of MP, which the cousin promptly offered to Spencer Percival. It does seem that the subsequent election was quite hard fought, but he did enter Parliament and then remained MP for Northampton until he died. The notion of political parties hadn't quite firmed up in those days, but Spencer Percival was on the Tory side, as opposed to the Whig side, so he was definitely on the more conservative side of politics, although it's worth noting that he stated that he was a supporter of Pitt the Younger, rather than the Tories, with this Pitt the Younger being one of the most standout Prime Ministers of this period. How did Spencer Percival become Prime Minister? After he became MP for Northampton, his rise was quick, He entered politics in 1795 and only 14 years later he was Prime Minister. As we've said, Pitt the Younger had dominated politics in those years, spending over 17 years as Prime Minister. And Percival did support Pitt in general, but their opinions didn't completely overlap. And when Pitt the Younger finally resigned in 1801 over issues relating to Catholic rights, Percival who, as we've said, wasn't in favour of Catholic rights, didn't feel the need to resign alongside him. As such, he began to develop his own experience in government away from Pitt, and initially he focused on his principal area of expertise, the law. Now Pitt hadn't quite left politics yet, and after a gap of about three years, he returned as Prime Minister because he was deemed a better war leader during the time of Napoleonic conflicts. However, due to the stresses of the job, at least in part, he died in office, still only young, at the age of 46. And from that point, there was a competition to find a suitable replacement to one of the best ever Prime Ministers. George Grenville went first, but his government was hastily put together after Pitt the Younger's death, and it fell apart after a year, particularly over that same issue of Catholic rights, which particularly touched on issues relating to the Irish. The King at the time George III was particularly against the idea of giving the Catholics and the Irish more rights and so anyone who agreed with him was more likely to make it in politics. George Grenville's Premiership fell because he was on the wrong side of that debate and he was replaced by William Cavendish Bentinck, who was a former Prime Minister from a different age. He was asked to give it another go and although he lasted more time in office he actually also died just after resigning after a scandal that was said to have exposed his inability to manage his own government. So there was a gap at the top once again. Percival during this time had been gaining experience of course, but as the negotiations began to decide who would replace Cavendish Bentinck, there was no obvious contender. Percival eventually seems to have won by being the most flexible and by having opinions that agreed with the King's. He seemed a sort of a compromise candidate, however, so things didn't bode well. What were Spencer Percival's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? It had looked like this new compromise government wasn't going to last very long. Some former cabinet members refused to work with Spencer Percival and others had been ruled out due to a scandal. And this is how it seems that this more conservative version of government began. It was a rocky period and stability was wanted. Spencer Percival's views about the Catholics were very staunch and very much in agreement with the king. Also, it was a different track after the predecessors who had been relatively supportive of Catholic rights. So in this way, although not in a way that's aged very well, he did provide a certain amount of conservative with a small c stability. Other than that, we can't really talk in terms of great achievements, This wasn't a great reformer, but he did, for example, account for the costs of the Napoleonic Wars and made sure that it was possible that the country could pay for them. So why did Spencer Percival stop being Prime Minister? On the 11th of May 1812, just after 5pm, and actually less than a month before the French would invade Russia as part of the Napoleonic Wars, Spencer Percival was shot in the entranceway to the House of Commons. He died soon after. The assassination itself involved a strangely meandering tale, with the assassin having been imprisoned in Russia and having made repeated failed attempts to get compensation from the British government for this imprisonment. After he was imprisoned, apparently he stated that the British ambassador to Russia would have been a better target for his gun, but that Percival, as Prime Minister, was a representative of those who would refuse to give him compensation. So it seems that the assassin had nothing personally against Percival, only shooting him because he was Prime Minister. He had a grudge and there were attempts to declare him insane, but the assassin was hanged a week after he shot the Prime Minister. Why should we remember Spencer Percival? I try to think of parallels here and the only parallel I can think of is with the first Prime Minister, Robert Walpole. When he first created the episode about Robert Walpole, we commented that it was strange that the country's first Prime Minister wasn't more famous and more celebrated. Now he is one of the most famous Prime Ministers of that age, don't get me wrong, but nevertheless he isn't celebrated, for example, and in part it's because he was a flawed man. It was also in part because the role of Prime Minister still had not fully emerged. At the time of Robert Walpole, and even of Spencer Percival, The role of Prime Minister seems to have been much more an administrative role than anything, so great leaders weren't particularly required. And Percival does fit into this group of Prime Ministers. Walpole is remembered as the first ever Prime Minister, Percival's remembered as the only Prime Minister to be assassinated, but other than that, he isn't celebrated in any other way. And perhaps that's just because times have changed, and so no legend ever grew around this man. Of course it's sad that he left 12 children behind without a father but he'd been in the role of Prime Minister for almost three years unlike for example George Canning who died in office just over 100 days into his role and is very much seen as a Prime Minister who didn't have the opportunity to fulfil his potential. Percival however wasn't a great reformer and he wasn't really even a great defender of much rather he seemed to hide in that shadow of rather peevish conservatism which led to opinions which were certainly popular at the time among some groups, such as not giving Catholics more rights, but they wouldn't stand the test of time. And he did seem to set the tone for the period to come, being the last gasp of those people who were influenced by the French Revolution and US independence. It meant that Percival and his successor Robert Jenkinson, the Earl of Liverpool, would cling on to this conservative path, attempting to crush any attempts at reforms that could transform the country and lead to the bloodbath that had killed many of the establishment in France and that had led to war in the United States, in a period which would last another 20 years after Spencer Percival left office, until, in 1832, the country finally caved into the inevitable and began to make reforms which would transform the country, beginning processes that would make it fairer for all. Thank you for listening to this episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. I hope you've enjoyed that. In answer to that question at the beginning, why isn't he more celebrated as a defender of democracy? I think it's because, like Robert Walpole, he wasn't a perfect man, he doesn't seem to have been very likeable, and he held opinions which aren't particularly palatable. This was a particularly strange Prime Minister to research, because not only was his assassination rather strange in itself. There's absolutely no sense of heroic martyrdom there. It just seemed a rather squalid, pointless event. And Spencer Percival himself seemed to have been a good enough, solid Prime Minister, but one who is never going to figure amongst the greats, for example. Now, as always before I go, don't forget that this is just a starting point for you to do your own research about Prime Ministers of the UK. Sometimes there's so much history in these episodes that it's easy to get lost. We barely even mentioned the Peninsula War, for example, which would set the tone for the whole of the end of the Napoleonic Wars. However, before you move on, please don't forget to give this episode a like and share it with anyone who you think might be interested. This was random UK Prime Minister of the Week, Spencer Percival, the only UK Prime Minister to be assassinated. Goodbye.